Hi there and welcome to another Osler podcast. My name is Todd Fraser. From the outside, retrieval medicine seems an exciting and sometimes highly stressful way to spend your day. But what is the reality really like? Dr David Cooksley is a senior specialist in emergency medicine and has spent the better part of his career in a pre-hospital environment and he joins me today to share his experiences. David, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Todd, for having me. David, how did you get started in retrieval medicine? Well, I think I, I kind of fell into it really uh, in my early days. I, um, before I started medicine, I was quite sort of outdoors orientated and um, in going into medical school, I was sort of looking for things that would um, allow me to to engage in medicine, I guess, in the outdoorsy um, environment. I also had a well, have a continuing strong interest in aviation, and if you put those together, it naturally leads you to to the aeromedical world. And when I graduated from medicine, it certainly wasn't very developed. It was very um, what's the word? Uh, people were, were very zealous, I guess. It was a zealot that were attracted to it and would spend a lot of their time and donate their time to be involved. So there wasn't any kind of structure to it. There was no training program. There was no formal qualifications at that stage. So you just had to have the interest and make yourself known and, and then the doors opened up and um, I came across to Australia in 1990 uh, ostensibly to pursue a career in emergency medicine. And, of course, the Australian has a long history of retrieval medicine with the Royal Flying Doctor Service. And when we came over in 1990, there were um, quite a few fairly established retrieval services uh, of the helicopter type. And uh, we eventually moved up to the Sunshine Coast and working in Nambour and got involved uh there, both with road and fixed wing retrievals, and that really cemented it for me. I was um, I was really hooked, and I was certain this is where I wanted to be a significant component of my medical career. So, in a sense, I kind of drifted into it, and then as, it, as the years have gone, literally the decades have gone by, it's morphed into a very much more structured and much more uh, mature, I guess, discipline of medicine. When it comes to training, David, you obviously started as an emergency physician and this would have uh, contributed significantly to your abilities in, in the pre-hospital space. What What is the sort of skill set that a, a retrieval physician needs? Yeah, look, I think um, if we talk retrievals, I, I think we need to make sure that people understand that's not just going out to a hospital to pick up a patient and move them from point A to point B from one health facility to another. Um, it encompasses also pre-hospital work, so going to a point of injury or illness. It might be a motor vehicle accident or it might be someone bitten by a snake on a on a um, farm somewhere or that kind of thing or someone injured in the surf on the beach. And so what you need, I think, is um, a broad range of medical experience, certainly robust in the critical care, so managing acutely unwell, seriously unwell patients and airway management, um, cardiovascular support, not just talking CPR, but, you know, inotropic support. The ability to um, work and assess a patient clinically because, you know, out in that environment, you don't have CT scanners and although there's ultrasound, the utility is very limited. It's, it's heavily... Uh, dependent on your clinical judgment and clinical assessment. 
and often with little backup. And so you have to be able to have a broad range of experience in dealing with undifferentiated patients coming to a conclusion about how to manage them and then moving on. And that, that also applies in you know small regional hospitals where um, the healthcare staff might be relatively junior and although they're in a hospital, you're still relying heavily on the clinical experience and clinical judgment about what you think is going on or what needs to be done and how best to safely move that patient from where they are to where they need to be. So obviously emergency medicine um, fits that quite well in terms of the training and the mindset. You're dealing with undifferentiated patients on a daily basis. You need to be comfortable with paediatrics as well as adults, um, obstetric patients, psychiatric patients, a broad range of toxicology, toxinology. And certainly emergency medicine is by no means the only way into that. And any of the critical care disciplines, whether you come through anesthesia or intensive care or um, an advanced uh, rural and remote medical training program with a substantial amount of critical care exposure within that, uh, many of those pathways are, are fine, I think. David, can you give us an idea of what a standard day on a helicopter retrieval service might look like? What are the things that you actually do during the course of the day? Yeah, that's a great question, Claude. I, I don't know that there is a standard day, and I think that's one of the joys of it is the uncertainty. You're never really certain what the, how the day is going to unfold and what you're going to have to deal with. Um, but routinely you sign in on the day, say if you're doing a day shift, um, you'll start, the first thing to do is make sure the equipment is okay, uh, it's complete, it's functioning properly, not only the medical packs which contain um, the drugs and other equipment you need to manage patients, but you know, ventilators and multifunction monitors and fusion pumps and so on, your actual only personal protective equipment, helmets and uniforms, everything and harnesses are all fine and ready to go. And then usually you would run through a, a practice scenario with the crew of the day, uh, some patient um, situation, usually revolving around having to manage an emergency anaesthetic and, and uh, formally intubate the patient or whatever. And so you kind of got that drill worked out in your mind, a little dance of who does what and how it should unfold. And then at that point it's really waiting for the job to come in. And you may even never get to that point. Sometimes you're tasked on the way into base and you're just hoping that all those checks have been done, people have been conscientious and everything is good to go when you, you rock up there. Um, you may actually spend the whole day and do no missions at all or you might be just running back to back. And I think, you know, you could the, the variety is uh, one of the things that I think is the great joy about it is that you might go to a primary... It could be a motorbike crash, um, you deal with that, then you've got an intensive care patient from another hospital that needs to be moved somewhere else or a patient that's had a, an acute coronary event, um, they need to be moved to somewhere else. And so I think that, um, yeah, as I say, that's one of the joys of it, also one of the challenges, I think. On the podcast today is Dr David Cooksley, who has joined me to share his experiences of retrieval medicine. This is just one of a range of podcasts for junior doctors and medical students highlighting the diverse range of career options ahead of them. The Careers in Health podcast can be found completely free at www.oslacommunity.com. 
David, from the outside, um, there's a, a perception of retrieval or particularly pre-hospital medicine as being extremely exciting, often very stressful. And, you know, a lot of us have visions of uh, people like you hanging upside down in cars, intubating people. But what is the reality of uh, a primary uh, a road trauma or something like that? Can you give us a, an example of a case that you've, you've been to? Yeah. Um, look, I think no two incidents are the same. And I agree, there's certainly a lot of imagery surrounding um, this type of work. And I guess it makes for people like the concept of drama. And that's why um, television series, I guess, have, have uh, evolved around this type of you know, pre-hospital retrieval, emergency medicine, surgery, um, because it's meant to be exciting. It's meant to be dramatic. The truth of the matter is that you, know, you certainly have your moments, but by and large, it, it settles into a routine where you actually end up with a, a knowledge and a skill set and a, an approach to dealing with problems, whether they be pre-hospital or in the hospital, that actually um, makes it much less stressful. In terms of, um, you know, I guess uh, certainly been to a lot of pre-hospital accidents over the years, and as I mentioned, there's no two of the same. But you have to work as a team, and I think the team in terms of uh, yourself and the paramedic or if you're working with a flight nurse and you're going to that, you have to actually rely heavily on each other for both safety and to to move things forward in a, in a meaningful way in terms of patient care. So basically, you know, safety is, is right up there, making sure that you, you're not injured, what's actually going on, getting an assessment on what what is the situation, where are the risks and what do we have to manage. If there's a single patient, for example, someone that was riding a motorbike and they might have collided with a tree or um, a single driver in a car and that just run, that's pretty focused, it's pretty easy. It becomes much more challenging if there's multiple patients and you know, might have a two-car crash and there's four people in each car, now you've got eight people to deal with and you've got to work out who's sick, who's not, um, who do you need to treat and do something right now, who can wait, who can be moved out of the scene with the standard ambulance service, who do you need to transport. And there's often a um, tremendous sense of, um, I wouldn't say the word chaos, but... Um, it's easy for things to become confused and when you've got competing priorities and you're trying to grip up you know, what's exactly going on. And I think that's partly from training and partly from experience that you, you learn to manage those things. So once you've um, decided that it's safe to do so, you're really trying to identify which patient, if there's multiple patients or the patient, you know, how sick are they, what do they really need to do uh, what do you need to do to actually um, help them? And that might be something that's very dramatic in order to save their life. So if they might need an emergency anaesthetic or chest decompression or if they've been stabbed, you could actually even open up the chest and do a primary cardiac repair um, there and then. Um, or it might be just more focused on alleviating suffering. And we know, for example, that the earlier patients get um, adequate pain relief, not just some pain relief, but good analgesia, and that can be parenteral narcotics or ketamine or even a regional anaesthetic block, um, you decrease the risk of chronic regional pain syndromes, and that's all pre-hospital type things. So really attending to the humanitarian side of things is also very important. And that's not necessarily the sexy stuff, the type of stuff you think of when you think of TV dramas or 
the imagery you described. But um, it's it's probably as if not more important um, in the big terms of the bigger picture. David, I'm interested in the attributes that uh, make people successful in this sort of environment, and it seems that things like being able to make decisions with limited information, being able to pre-plan and anticipate are important. Is that right? And what other sorts of skills and attributes do people need to be successful? Yes, I think that's exactly right, Todd. You you have to be someone that's happy to um, make decisions and come up with a plan rather than vacillating too much. And you have to be able to make that those decisions and the plan on the basis of incomplete um, information, limited information, and with this diagnostic uncertainty, it's very easy to get paralysed and, and fearful because we're always taught in, in medicine, of course, first do no harm. And you, you can think of every intervention you might want to do for a patient. You can think of all the myriad of things that could go wrong. And so we want to have a high degree of certainty that the problem is as we perceive it and also that what we're going to do is going to be helpful rather than harmful. But in the pre-hospital and retrieval environment, there's not that same degree of diagnostic diagnostic certainty that we would have in a hospital. Um, and I think so you need to be a person that's comfortable with uncertainty, as you say, the ability to make decisions in a fairly pressured environment. You need to, probably the most important thing overall is actually your ability to work as a team. Because you have to remember it doesn't, when you're, you're involved in these situations, you're not just there as a solo practitioner. You're there as part of a bigger team. And if you don't have good communication skills, if you can't articulate your thoughts quickly and clearly, and people can understand that, and it's a two-way street, of course, the communication, you're hearing what they're saying, processing it, and together as a team coming up with the solution, um, then you won't survive in this environment. And one of the things that kills teams, especially high-performance teams, is ego. And I think um, one of the most important attributes to have is a caged ego where you know your sense of self-importance is, is well and truly kept in check. And you're focused uh, or able to focus on the mission. You're able to focus on the outcome rather than you as an individual. And um, so people that are easily offended, people that um, have a... Um, what's the word, unrealistically high opinion of themselves and, and are driven by it having to be all about them are not the sort of people that will do well in this environment. So being team-focused, being outcome-focused is, is critical. And as we mentioned before, having the necessary um, the medical skills. David, you mentioned your ongoing fascination with aviation. It must be dead exciting flying around in a helicopter as part of your work life. What are the things that you enjoy yeah. about medicine and uh, retrieval medicine, and what are the things that um, irritate you? Yeah, I think it's a, a you, certainly it's a wonderful thing to be out and about. I, I just love it. And other people would hate that. They don't. You know, you have to enjoy the unstructured environment. And um, if you if you want routine, if you want safe, if you want predictable, if you want um, you know nice and warm and dry with bright lights. Retrieval medicine is definitely not for you. Um, so certainly flying around in the helicopter is fun, flying around in the aeroplane is fun. You get to see some amazing things and you get to go to some amazing places and you meet extraordinary people, you know, just doing 
great things out there, and I think that's a great privilege. Um, and I just love that. I just, um, as I said, I like the clinical challenge. I like just being out and around, and I think anyone that's um, orientated towards that. And the other thing that's really good about retrieval medicine, apart from the multi-casualty instance, you're really just dealing usually with one patient, and that's the complete contrast to working in the at the emergency department where you may be overseeing the management of 30 or more patients at a time simultaneously um, and they're undifferentiated and having to be worked up and sorted out. And in the retrieval space, you're just dealing with that one patient and you can focus entirely on them. And in a sense, that's calming too. You're not having that same overburdened feeling that you often get routinely at work. But on the other hand, you're you and your team members are it and there's no other help. And so whatever happens, you have to deal with it. So that does create a bit, you know, you can't just um, press the buzzer and you've got a whole team of um, extra hands and all the subspecialty people turn up to give you a hand with a problem like what happened in the emergency department. When you're in the back of the aircraft or you're on the side of the road, you just have to deal with whatever's there. And um, that's both a joy and terrifying at times, I think. Um, I, I think I don't really find much irritating, to be honest. I I just enjoy. I really look forward to that work. I look forward to the shifts. I think it can be frustrating if you go. Probably the, the key frustration is where you you turn up to work and you don't get called out for the day. And um, sometimes you feel that you actually just need that day <laughs> just for your own uh, mental space, I guess. But uh, most of the time, you're wanting to be out and about, so. Um, to not get called is, is frustrating. David, final question. For those who are out there listening who have had their interest piqued by this interview, how would they go about getting a career in uh, retrieval? Yeah, look, I think one of the things that anyone that's interested should come and, and find a retrievalist and, and talk to them, and there's plenty around. Um, anyone wants to talk to me, I'm pretty easy to track down. Uh, David Cooksey at the emergency department at the Sunshine Coast University Hospital and um, if I can't be available I'll certainly put you in touch with other people and talk to the retrievalists and get them to take you out to one of the bases and have a look around and just sort of over a cup of coffee just discuss what it's really like and, and start to sense whether this really is something you want to pursue or not. The key foundation is a good robust medical education and one of the critical care disciplines and uh, keeping the breadth as much as possible. So either emergency medicine, anesthesia or intensive care. And within those, you need to be comfortable with paediatrics. You need to make sure you have an adequate knowledge of toxicology, toxinology, so, you know, the snakes and spiders and all that sort of stuff. And that is your starting point. And if you don't have that that, uh, foundation then you won't get very far in the retrieval space. Now, having said that, in the specialty training, it would be very worthwhile for you to take six months as part of your training program and go and do a retrieval medicine registrar job. And uh, there's a number of them around the country. For example, Life Flight here in Queensland, um, the Greater Sydney Hems, Westpac Lifesavers that's in New South Wales, um, MedStar in Adelaide, you know, the really high quality services and get um, exposure for six months. And that will 
by the end of the six months, you'll know whether this is really something you want to be part of your career or actually, no, it was fun, but it's not something I, you know, it was different to what I thought. Um, I can't see myself doing that. If after that six months, um, you're hooked, finish your fellowship, get your qualification, that is essential. You have to absolutely focus on that. Once that's done, coming back into looking for postgraduate qualifications in pre-hospital and retrieval medicine, and the Australasian College for Emergency Medicine is just uh, starting a formal qualification, a diploma in that for people that are interested. Uh, there's overseas qualifications such as the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh, Diploma in Immediate Medical Care, and also Diploma in Retrieval and Transport Medicine. And then there are the um, university-based courses. First. You know, there's a number of them around James Cook University, Monash, uh, for, uh, two, for example, Otago University in New Zealand run postgraduate um, courses up to master's level in retrieval medicine. Those are good, but you need to actually be doing it. If you just, there's a lot of people that have done the courses, but have never done the retrieval work. And that's a bit of, it's kind of like trying to learn to play the piano by reading about it in a book. You know, you need to actually get your hands on the keys. You need to actually be doing it. And so if you want to pursue it, um, get the six months uh, during your registrar time, make sure that you know what you're getting into, and then actively pursue completing your fellowship and postgraduate qualifications and more experience and just get a permanent part-time slot wherever you can doing retrieval medicine. And the the rest will be, as I say, just history. It will unfold quite organically. Uh, For the the people that have, um, who feel very enthusiastic, you may want to try and get overseas. And I've worked a couple of times now with London's Air Ambulance, commonly called London Hens, um, HEM stands for Helicopter Emergency Medical Service, and they are, without doubt, the best pre-hospital trauma service in the world. So if you want to get more pre-hospital focused as opposed to retrieval medicine focused, um, going and spending six or 12 months in the United Kingdom doing London HEMS um, and one of the regional air ambulance jobs would be highly worthwhile. And you'll need to, that will take about two or three years of planning and organising, so there's no rush for it. You'd need to be thinking well and truly ahead. David, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing your experiences of retrieval medicine. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again. Thank you, Todd. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. For more great interviews just like this, visit our website at www.oslocommunity.com.